I know this horse can do it because it's done it before and it's dirty fast and it's dirty, whatever. The reality is, is, is the tissue ready? Nope. It's not heart and lungs. Sure. The ability, all the ability in the world, probably kill them, probably go there and win the one D right. But it's not ready. And every time you do that, you take a little more out of that horse's system, good or bad. It does. I, I'm not, I'm not judging people. I'm just saying it's just simple biomechanics and biology, and we call it medicine. Welcome to the Equine Body Talks podcast. We'll be diving into the equine industry from the lens of a body worker, talking to other equine professionals and discussing scenarios around soft tissue work for all equine athletes. I'm Kim Krebs, your host. I've been working for over two decades in this industry as a loper, barn manager, and body worker. With the many horses I've worked with in all of these capacities, it has driven me to want to continually find out the why and the hows of equine biomechanics, health, and performance. My mentor and one of our industry's leaders, Tina Watkins of In Hand Equine Therapy, will also be sharing hosting duties with me. Tina has been an equestrian her entire life and has dedicated the last 25 years to bringing bodywork forward as a professional career through her business as well as education and teaching of future and current body workers. This podcast is dedicated to opening the conversation around equine wellness, diving deeper into the whole body approach for equine performance horses. When it comes to our horses, we will do most anything to help them out. We depend on them as our partners in performance events, as well as our companions and trusted confidants. So when they come up lame or in pain, we'll rush them in to get them fixed up. But what if we could mitigate some of these issues before they even get started? Being aware could end up saving our partners undue soreness, save our pocketbooks, and our worries. Horses are stoic by nature. They do, after all, still fall back to not wanting to look like the weak one left out to get taken down by the wolves. So it's about becoming more aware of what to look for, allowing us to nip some of these problems in the butt before they get a foothold and a downward spiral occurs. Dr. Chad Hewlett of Energy Equine is our guest today. Many of you listening, if you're in Western Canada, will know of or have dealt with Dr. Hewlett over the last 20 plus years of his practice. He has become one of our industry's top lameness and sport medicine veterinarians. Dr. Hewlett was born and raised in Iowa and graduated with a Bachelor of Science from Iowa's Wesleyan College with honors and then followed with his Doctorate of Veterinary Medicine from Iowa State University. His postgraduate internship was spent at the Ontario Veterinary College, where he specialized in equine surgery medicine. His next move was to Calgary, Alberta, where he worked for Moore Equine Veterinary Center. At Moore's, he gained an incredible knowledge of the equine athlete and began to focus on lameness. Chad's interest brought him to famous lameness veterinarian Dr. David McCarroll, at Interstate Equine in Golby, Oklahoma. Once again returning to Calgary in 2006 and after the successful completion of a postdoctorate IVAS certification in veterinary acupuncture, he started his own ambulatory practice, Energy Equine. This practice has continued to grow with multiple equine-specific veterinarians working alongside him and now offers clinics in two locations, Airdrie, Alberta, and just south of Spruce Meadows in DeWinton, Alberta. Dr. Hewlett has a special interest in performance horse soundness and locomotion, 
and is known for treating some of the top performance horses in the country. So if you want to talk to a professional about locomotion pathologies, Dr. Hewlett is a great one to share his knowledge. We caught up with him as he started one of his busy days. Have a listen. All right, today we're here with Dr. Chad Hewlett. We're pretty excited because Chad is one of the phenomenal vets we have here in Alberta. Dr. Chad, we are so thankful that you came on today. Thanks for having me, Teen. Chad specializes in sports med and has a very large sports-specific practice here in Alberta. Chad, what got you interested in looking at sport horses and uh, trying to help them specifically? Yeah, it's interesting, Teen. You know, when you're going to school, the veterinary medicine part, I was really interested in being a dog doctor. And I was going to be a like an orthopedic surgeon for dogs is what I thought when I went to vet school. And then I got there and it just kind of all changed around and, and I started really enjoying the horses and, and not that I didn't know about them because I grew up on a ranch and we had a, a rodeo company or my family had a rodeo company when I was little, but it's all kind of changed. Then going to um, how I got to Canada was through Guelph. And when I got to Guelph, I really kind of dialed in on the surgical part, but the research part you know, when I was going through and reading papers to follow up on cases that I saw, the, the sports medicine really started to dial in. And then showing up in Alberta, I'm sure if people have been, you know, if they're a little more mature in the industry, they've heard of a veterinarian by the name of Greg Andrews. And uh, Dr. Andrews had a really big influence on me. And he's a very um, early on kind of sports medicine vet. And so I spent a lot of time with him. And then I was lucky enough to end up in Oklahoma for a couple of years and work with Dr. McCarroll. And um, David really changed the game for me. He was way ahead of everybody. You know, I saw the first shockwave on a horse in 1997 before shockwave was even a thing. David was doing stem cell stuff. Like he was doing a lot of really kind of edgy stuff back then. And it just really got me sparked. And then somewhere along the line in there, like 98, I think when I came back from Oklahoma, I met Tina and we just started kind of working on things through integrating like the total body, you know, because I was trained pretty traditional on all things emanate from the bottom and then the axial skeleton is a part of the problem later. And I think my, that just kind of evolved into the axial skeleton was actually what causes, I don't like causes, but like it's the first trigger and we just kind of work through that with you. And that's, I think that's in a nutshell, that kind of gives the evolution, right? Like, and I've had several courses where I've had the chances to spend time with Cooper Williams. Dr. Williams is a really good veterinarian from, from the East Coast in the U.S. Philippe Benoit and, and uh, Monsieur Benoit and stuff like that. So that's those, those kinds of things just kind of spark a person up, you know, to, to move in that direction. And I would say just the sheer enjoyment of watching clients take a horse that's, that they really enjoy that's been injured and then just move it back into performance. There's a lot of a lot of joy from that, I guess. That, I don't know, it sounds kind of funky, but it, it is how it is. Yeah, no, I think that's exciting because I think that's what also gets you excited to see every horse that you go to see. And I know clients that use you here in Alberta, that's one of their big feedbacks is that every horse that you see, you're excited about, you're looking at them, and it's not just a humdrum, well, let's try this, let's try that. It's really... You, you get really invested in your clients. And, and do you think that that's because you've continued your learning, you've continued your mentorship? 
Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I know you and I've talked about it um, numerous times over the last couple of years. It's, it's kind of a neat feeling to be so far into it, so many years into it and really realize that every day there's just new things that are coming up and new ways of doing things or things that you have done for a long time that you're like, wow, that makes sense now. Right. And yeah. And the horses teach us that right along with the clients, right. That, that want to go somewhere. I feel like those deadlines, the slight bit of pressure that you feel from, from being in the room with the client and their horse and the desire to come back to whatever they were doing or to go to another level, like that, that mixture really brings it to the game. Like when you're there. Well, and I think Chad, from working with you too, more recently, obviously than what Tina has, but you really do have an outside the box approach when you look at a case and it may be a case that is just coming in for the very first time the horse has had an incident, or it may be a case that has had a plethora of other professionals that have looked at it and nobody's been able to yet pinpoint an exact problem. And I think that's where I've really seen you thrive is that you love those cases that are a bit of a puzzle and, and allow you to, to really dive in and, and try to get to the root of the problems. Yeah, they're sure fun. And the, I think the thing is, is like having those cases come and being involved with them, you know, we see maybe four or five a week, you know, I, I find that I can stay pretty fresh. If I start seeing 10, 10 to 15 of them a week, they, they tax you right out, right? Yeah. Like you, they, 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 get, they get to you. So having the bread and butter in there of like, oh, I need my, I need my young horse x-ray to see if it has OCDs or, you know, I just really want the Hawks injected, you know, cause it's needs to be done and I know it needs to be done and we've done it. Like those kind of cases allow you to just kind of practice the medicine, right? Like, and then the other cases, like you said, Kim, they, they dig at you, right? Like they really, they tax my nervous system, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, but they're fun and they're enjoyable. And, and I think the, yeah, it's not, and, and the interesting thing too, I think when we talk about it is, is that, you know, we have a, we have a saying at our practice every day I get up wanting to f- look for all the horses. And in the middle of that, there's one or two zebras, right? And those zebras, uh, they just keep you sharp. If there's too many zebras running around, you get a little confused. But if there's a few of them running around, you, you stay right on your game. And I, I think that's it. Like just having those sprinkled in there. Another thing we talk about is let's run at things. Let's don't run away from them, right? That only took about, I don't know, 15 years to figure out. When you have a difficult situation, instead of turtling up and being like, oh, I don't know and maybe I should look at this or maybe I should do that or whatever. I mean, you still have that option, but the other one too, I think is clients love it when you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in the ditch a little bit here. And I don't mean the ditch, like I'm going to take us on a wreck. It's just that how would you be open to, if I had the osteopath do this and I had the chiropractor do that, you know, like, and not on the same case, but you know, like just certain cases, depending on where they want to go. And then if I came back and tried this, what would you think? I find a lot of people that are looking to solve their problem. That's what they want as a problem solver, right? And so problem solvers move at things. They don't move away from them. I think that's part of it. And Tina would probably, and you could say the same too, Kim, as far as, as you start to move at problems, it seems like, okay, and this is a, a spherical thing, the answers kind of want to pop up 
or the people that can fix it. If you can, if I can't fix it, the, pe- <laughs> the person or the technique or whatever seems to show up. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think the other thing that we'd get you to explain a little bit would be what is the difference between like a general practice veterinarian and someone like yourself that is really a lameness specialist? Because I know for a lot of body workers, you go out and see a horse and you want to do a vet referral. And oftentimes, you know, you do that vet referral. And again, not not that the referral is to, you know, a bad individual or an incorrectly trained individual. But I do notice that if you refer to yourself or another lameness specialist, that they are looking at the horse in a different way. Again, not a better or worse way, but a different way. Could you kind of just explain to us what what it is about the way you look at horses that kind of lets you see what's happening in the entire body, maybe is a good way to ask it? So for us, Teen, it's very... It's very specific in the sense of like, it, it doesn't really change. Every exam after you start to come to that sort of level of where you want to look at horses from a sports medicine standpoint, it's, it's the physical exam in the sense of what they teach us in vet school. But that physical exam moves into some more specific diagnostic exams that involve the soundness part, you know, or the locomotion, I guess we should say, and, and biomechanics. I think those are the big things right now that is being taught a lot in sports medicine rehab type of CE or veterinarians that want to specialize. So if you're an intern or a a resident that wants to do that, you end up with somebody that that looks at that. The other thing is, is numbers. Somebody that really wants to do this, they, they look at a lot of numbers to get their patterns down. And I, I feel like if I referred this back to you guys too, you have very specific patterns that start to show up and you start to trust those. And a lot of times that's where veterinarians are focused is they'll start looking at their pattern recognition on the biomechanics. And so without getting too deep into like huge Latin terms, it's, I think it's just more, if that veterinarian is really interested in the movement of the horse, the way that the joints flex, the way that the muscles are involved and the tendons are involved and how it all kind of fits together and how that horse propulses itself forward, how it stops itself, how it moves laterally. Those are things that we just don't get taught that in school. And it's not a criticism of vet school because, you know, still in vet school at this point, you need to learn about a cat, a dog, a gerbil, a snake, a chicken, a pig, you know, like, and so they've got to teach us a lot of things. And inside of that, you get the really good education of like, Here's the horse's heart rate. Here's what their respiratory rate is. This is what their weight should be, you know, like in body condition scores and stuff like that. That comes along pretty nicely. The more eloquent or subtle stuff that I'm talking about, you're going to need to spend some time with somebody at least a year. And and that's heavy, you know, heavy time spent. It's probably going to take three to five years of pretty dialed in, you know, you know, if you see a thousand horses a year, you know, you're going to take 3000 horses to get to that. And those are, I'm just spitting numbers out, not because I think that that's exactly what you need to do, but I just think it's the pattern recognition and the, the focus on it. Right. And the, the ability to work with your clients and the paraprofessionals, there's a, such a big part of that, you know, and I, you keep hearing me refer back to, I look at 
one horseshoer that taught me more about horseshoeing than anybody ever did, Mark Milster from Oklahoma. So he taught me a lot about just how the foot affects the rest of the body, right? And then I've taken that, used it with like Nathan Powell, who's here, like Cam, you know, Pete's in on with me. Like, so we follow a lot of those guys. So that shoeing thing, just being able to piece those together and really follow up on those cases to add to the biomechanics of the rest of the movement of a horse, you know, and then spending time with you guys on your stuff, that's really helped me, you know, and I could say, Oh, it's a lot of the CE from, you know, like Dr. Denois, Philippe Benoit, Cooper, as I said before, you know, and those kinds of things help a bunch, you know, just adding it together. So when, whenever you guys are talking to veterinarians about that, a lot of times they've, they've spent time with somebody that's really focused in that area and they'll, they'll talk about where they've been, where they're at. And they will be, I find that they're pretty open to, a lot of the modalities that are out there, understanding laser, understanding acupuncture, incorporating chiropractics, you know, those kinds of things are catchphrases that you'll hear us say. And if you don't hear them, hear them be said, then it's nice to bring them up from a body worker standpoint to see if that veterinarian would be interested. Because sometimes you're in a spot where you may, that may be your person, right? And, and that's who you're going to have to work with. I don't mean have to, but that's the person that the the horse has as a veterinarian. It's so crucial that point what you're mentioning in terms of not only having your foundation, a very strong foundation course like you did through veterinary school, but then obviously to add on with not only just the continuing, the formal continuing education, but really finding those mentors that you can work with and study under and and then also be super aware of the other individuals that are professionals working around you because everybody does have something that you can you can learn from so being aware of that and not think sometimes people can get really stuck in a sense of not that they are the the one and the only but they can become very tunnel vision and not look outside of what their training has given them and and realize what others can add to their education and their their building of their own career so i love how involved you are with not only the veterinary community and continuing education there but also looking at the entire equine industry and the professionals that work within that so yeah just kudos to you i appreciate that <laughs> Yeah, thank, thank you. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, you get so caught up sometimes in the educational white paper, ivory tower, you know, this is what, this is this, this is this. And, and then you get sprayed out into the world and you find, and you land on the ground and there's all these people around you that know things, right? And then all of a sudden you're just like, wow, I'm, I, I learned so much here. I learned so much there. And I mean, both of you guys ride horses. And when you work with a trainer, you know, most of those trainers that, that you're working with, they, some of them didn't even graduate from high school, but they're incredible horsemen and they understand the dynamics that are happening. They figured out things from nature, so to speak, you know, I, I just find that intriguing, right? Like how yeah. that all comes together. So, yeah. So anyway. true. you know, you're bringing up the point of how important the team approach is. And, you know, Kim and I talk a lot about, the uh, circle of wellness. And I think, you know, you're a huge advocate of that circle. Cause I don't, I don't know that an athlete can be all it can be without 
tapping into that entire circle of wellness practitioners? Yeah, if you if you can be on a team of really good health practitioners, you know, and that includes the the horseshoe, the the body worker, the sports therapist, the veterinarian, the you know, like however that works, the groom, you know, like that all. I'll take that team any day. It's such a brilliant thing how it all works. Yeah. So today we kind of had you on for a new, I don't know if we want to call it a, a buzzword, but people are talking a lot about locomotor pathologies. And we're going to have a short course with you coming up on this in May. Can you tell us what that means for people that haven't heard that terminology before? I'll, um, I'll just come at it real simple because locomotion pathology has been talked about for a while in the veterinary community. I think Dr. Denwa started kind of in the late 90s, really dialing into, you know, axial skeleton stuff and understanding the x-rays of the back, the neck and the ultrasound and different things. So it slowly started to evolve from, you know, we used to kind of look at things as one system, right? Like, you know, you got your nervous system, you got your muscular system, you got your joint system, you got your bones. So we break them all down to study them in school. At the end of the day, though, it's all working together, right? And so for me, locomotion pathology is just basically looking at what's my nerve pattern, you know, like so a horse or a human, whatever it is, cat, dog, doesn't matter. You know, if my right shoulder has been hurt for a while, I now have a different pattern than I had before. And now I've, I've still got low, I'm still moving. I still got locomotion. I'm still going where I need to go, but I've got a pathology, right? And so inside of that pathology just means something that's not, it's, it's not balanced, right? I guess it's, let's just say that. So the whole key with this right now is just talking about looking at an, a biological system. So let's say a horse and understanding that it has these pathologies or these aberrations in their movement, aberrations in muscle development, something, right? And it can have a nervous component. It has a muscle component. It has a joint component and it could have a tendon or ligament component, right? And so I think that's the thing that's kind of neat about it is that's how we move this to a more integrated, involved of all systems, you know? And even just looking at if you start to add in, okay, well, I've got a mild ulcer inside of my belly and, you know, that does nothing. Well, we say nothing, you know, I'm using that in parentheses. That has nothing to do with my front feet or my hind legs. Actually, it has everything to do with it, right? Like if my belly's on fire and I'm protecting it with my sternum or my abdominal musculature, I'm now moving my femur differently, right? Like, and, and when you take a quadruped right which just makes the puzzle even more fun right <laughs> because now i just went from a two-legged species in a human to a four-legged species that keeps 60 percent of its body weight over its front legs but yet we want it to do all its movement with its hind legs you know not all but we want to engage it from the hind end right so we're taking its weight away from where it should be moving it to its back end and now i've got a two and a half foot neck with about a i don't know let's say somewhere between 35 and 60 pound ball stuck on the end of it. Right. You know, you just, those things just really start to, to bring some complexity to the whole pattern. Right. And then we're just kind of trying to look at all those things, I guess that's what's encompassing inside of it. 
And then on top of that, our podcast that came out at the end of April is uh, Danny Croach with Saddle. So then you're going to put a saddle on and you're going to put a rider on. And now we've got even more things for that horse to deal with. Yeah. I, like, how can you not love an animal that does that? I say they not only deal with their own problems. So think about the foot or whatever it is. But then like you did, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention this inside. So thank you for bringing it up. But like stick a person on top and a saddle on top. And, you know, I can self-admit that it's probably good that I don't ride a lot because I'm I'm not I'm flopping around up there like a big old fish, you know, and 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 that's not and then those horses take care of us. I'm I'm always impressed by that. So, yeah. And then yeah. we ask them to do sport specific maneuvers and add speed to it and quick turns and whatnot. And yeah, we have now yeah. we don't wonder we need our veterinarians to <laughs> yeah. let's run in a cloverleaf pattern a few thousand times, right? Let's <laughs> let's jump some fences that are almost as tall as your withers with me on your back, right? Like right. let's do it three or four times in a row. They're they're just in such impressive creatures, aren't they? As far as what they can do for us right? yeah. or with us. Yeah. Totally. So Chad, a couple times when you were doing your description, you mentioned patterns. For those that are listening that aren't quite understanding what you're meaning by the pattern the horse has given us, can you break that down just a little bit? Yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, and I, I won't go in the rabbit hole very far, but I'm going to go in the rabbit hole a little tiny bit here. So when you do a lot of reading about ancient cultures and different things, they talk about patterns all the time. The pattern of the seed, the pattern of the ground, the pattern of the creek, mandalas and different things. Okay. And so I don't want to get into like trying to pair this all together, but I think for a long time as a species, we've wanted to be able to understand repeated patterns and know where we're at. I mean, and so a pattern for me that repeated again this morning is I went to bed last night, I woke up, I put my heart rate monitor with my heart rate variability on before I get out of bed. I go in the washroom. I let go of the water that built up overnight. I brush my teeth. I get in the shower. I make a cup of coffee. It has a third of a cup to a half a cup of heavy cream in it. It's made with a specific coffee maker. I then make my food for the day. I talk to my wife. I mean, you can just about set your clock by what's going to happen when Chad wakes up in the morning based on his pattern. Okay. So that's, I'm just going to use that as an example. So I think for practitioners, it behooves us to really watch for that inside of our practice. Right. And so for me, when we started only doing the exam one way, and it doesn't mean that, and I, and Tina and I talk about this a lot when we were together and with Kim is, Chad and Tina don't do their exam the same way. I love how Tina does her exam. I'm not switching over to that because my way works for me. It's just the same pattern over and over again allows me, allows the practitioner. How about we say that? Not me. Allows the practitioner to then pick up on little subtle things and then be able to use them going forward. So I'll just use this example. After you've seen a horse with, let's say, sternal, luxation or, or hawk arthritis or sacroiliac pain or whatever. If you remember the pattern that you saw the last time, when you see that pattern the next time, it just takes some of the guesswork out of being a, a health practitioner. And so for me, we just go through each day with, and, and I have Dr. Smith right now working with me as a mentor. 
And so she spent the last, I don't know, she started in June last year. So we're on nine months or whatever. And it feels really good to watch her have this recognition of the patterns. There's about probably 15 to 20 patterns that she's mastered over the last nine months. Now, is that all of veterinary medicine? Is that all of sports medicine? No, but I'm gonna tell you right now, 80% of the problems we see, she could dial into those right today. Now to be at that level in less than 10 months, I, I would have prayed for that. So, but that's just, just teaching her those patterns over and over again. Like, did you see this? Yeah, okay. Remember this, next time we look at this horse, another horse comes in. I'm like, did you see that pattern again? Oh yeah, I do, right? And this, so once she started recognizing the patterns, then she's able to put together all the other things. And I think it just sifts, what it does is, you know, when you come in, I don't know about for you guys, when you see a horse for the first time, it's like, well, it could be 50 things. Well, anytime I have more than about, I don't know, I'm a man. So anytime I have more than about two or three things to think about, I'm going to mess some things up. I'm going to get confused, right? So, so I, I always say to people, the next 25 minutes, we're going to go from 50 problems to two or three. And if we're really lucky, we'll get to one. Okay. But if I can get it to three with you as a practitioner or the owner or whatever, we got a really good chance of figuring that stuff out. And you're going to be happy and I'm going to be relieved because I will have helped you get where you want to go. And I think that's the joy of life right now is those doing that. But once we started, once we started putting the patterns together, then it started getting a lot easier. I don't mean like, I should say simpler. I don't know if easier is the word I want to use, but it became a lot simpler. Right? So that's, that's every day for us right now is just teaching these patterns. Right. And, and then again, I'll, I'll I won't go too far sideways, but just coming down to, for us, okay, so we're teaching uh, a lot of young individuals right now how to take radiographs, how to ultrasound, where we need to scrub for joints. And so I'll be like, you see this pattern that I'm teaching you here? I'm like, okay, this is the spot for the stifle. This is where this is at. This is where this is at. And they're looking at me and I'm like, okay, we're scrubbing a joint right now to put a needle in it. But do you understand that that's the center of your x-ray plate when we get ready to take an x-ray and, the, and you'll see the light come on because now I've taken a pattern for one thing and I've put another pattern over the other top of it. And then they cannot have to think so much from a confusion standpoint. I think that just makes things flow so much easier. People can become so overwhelmed when you first take on a study, obviously such as veterinary medicine, but even in the realm of body work, because I first remember sitting with both you, Chad and Tina, watching a movement assessment and being like, I don't see half of what they're seeing. How, how am I missing all of these things? But, you know, I was at the beginning of my career, basically at that point, and, and you guys did, you had those patterns. And then you started talking about putting the box around the horse and, and, you know, watching from this area to this area. Again, not that that was necessarily what I had to do because those were your patterns, but it just really reiterated in my mind how essential it was to start developing those patterns so that I could then not have to think about a hundred things before I get to a horse because I knew that basically my, my muscle memory, my, my ability to just recognize it is just going to kick in. So true. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point, Kim. 
And one of the things that you teach a lot about, and, and we're lucky here in Alberta because you do a lot of teaching, Chad, and, and uh, do a phenomenal job of it, but you you really ask people to look at what's changed in this horse. And I know you educate your clientele as well. That's one of the first questions. I know I um, you're my primary vet for um, uh, all of our lameness, and that's the first question you always ask when the horse comes to you what has changed? I think people can overlook that a lot of times where they think, oh, well, you know, that's just, oh, they're getting older. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, whatever. Tell us a little bit about why you think that recognizing change is so important. The first time I had vet students like 10 or 12 years ago, the students were both small animal practitioners or going to be small animal track practitioners. One was going to be in the zoo or whatever. So they were riding with me and they're about two weeks in and they're like, do you ever see a normal horse? And I'm like, nope, probably <laughs> never. I said, I said, nope, never. And they're like, yeah, we're noticing that. We're beginning to think that every every horse out there has something wrong with it. I'm like, well, okay. And then I, I and you guys probably figured this out. I'm a bit of a philosophical nutball. So I said, uh, what do you think about humans? And you could see him be quiet for a little bit. And I'm like, I mean, what about yourself? Like, do you think you're the same person you were when you were 10? Cause they're now 21 or two. Well, no, my knee hurts a little bit more. And when I wake up in the middle of the night, this happens. I'm like, yeah. So did you, do you know when that happened? And they're like, no, I can't really remember when. And then you could see it kind of cranking through. And I'm like, and this will serve you well in your veterinary practice. If you start to look at yourself and understand that I brushed my teeth yesterday and my elbow didn't hurt. I brush my teeth today and my elbow does hurt, you know? So I do a lot of that with our clients because then that gives us a chance to be able to pick up on things. I won't talk directly about treatment of, of Tina's horses with her horses over the years. You know, we would be lucky to treat the same thing over and over again, but it don't work that way. Usually it's, it sometimes is the same things. And we, you know, we can't deny that if you're, if you're doing a particular discipline and you have a horse that, you know, just isn't biomechanically set up and it has an SI problem or a stifle problem or something, you know, some sort of weakness. And that's not because it's a bad horse. It's just, it was developed that way, or it moves that way or whatever, you know, God gave it that. And that's what it's got. You, you need to pay attention to that. But the question becomes is what's different, right? And, you know, when you get ready to saddle your horse, does it not want you to catch it anymore? And just, trying to really for lack of a better term I poke at my clients a little bit or I ask our veterinarians to poke at them to understand when did when did stuff change and, and what changed and how long and then did something else change and did this happen and then you can again as Kim was saying before it's just I'm just looking for a way to to cut some of the confusion out and if I know when it started and how it started and what became evident at that time it's a bit of a cheat. Now I can cut some of this other stuff out and move into an area and dial into it a little bit more. I think I would add to that point a little bit in that one of the other things I've become more aware of, I always wanted to try and find the what's wrong, what has changed in the negative sense. But sometimes it's also looking for the change in the positive sense. You know, yep. what has happened in that horse and, and all of a sudden they're enjoying things better those sort of ideas as well need to be addressed or looked at. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful that you bring that up, Kim, because 
when I went to Florida to learn from Philippe about sacroiliac injections like 12, I don't know, 12 years ago, maybe long, I don't know, it's a while ago. I came home and, you know, being a, a traditional uh, Western trained veterinarian and I hadn't done a lot of axial skeleton stuff. So, you know, I was used to putting a needle in a coffin joint and or a hawk or a fetlock or whatever and the horse was better in five or six days so you know and there wasn't a lot of people injecting sacroiliacs and so there wasn't i didn't have a real good circle of influence to talk to on the veterinary side or in the paraprofessional side where we'd done many of them so i did a few i did like five or six and they weren't better in five or six days and i was like oh, i'm doing it wrong i don't i'm making the wrong diagnosis like you know because those are the questions you always ask yourself am i in the right place and did i try the right treatment right and so and luckily i'm kind of a hard headed and i've got a i used to be a bit egotistical so i was like just going to just pile through this and then about a month into it these horses started getting a lot better and people were raving about it so i just didn't understand like you said kim sometimes the the gain that you get to is important too, and understanding the gain so that you move, you, you allow it to work or you, um, you don't focus so much on that. I think it takes me it perfectly into the next question I had on my list, which was, you know, some people think that leg pain is leg pain. And I know you touched on this just a little bit when you were describing the locomotor pathologies, but for somebody that's thinking to themselves, oh yeah, you know, I get my horse's hawks done and, you know, then check off the list, the, you know, he should be fine and off I go again. Can you tell us just a little bit about how leg pain can affect the rest of the body? And then interestingly enough, you and I had a great conversation about how then it could settle in another leg after it works its way through the body. So can you give us just a brief you know, kind of go through of how the body works that way. I'm going to step on toes, but I'm going to try not to step on them hard. So, okay. So one of my strong feelings is when, whenever I hear somebody say to me, oh, you know, my horse has been so sound up until it tore its suspensory ligament. I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been to the vet for like two and a half years. They haven't done anything to him for two and a half years. First thing in my mind is, yeah, you got a tough horse and it's had some problems and it kept doing its job right up until you broke it, right? And that's a really strong statement and I know I'm going to piss some people off, but I'm okay with it. Not because I'm trying to be mean. It's just you're being a bit ignorant, right? In the sense of like your horse was telling you something. So when I get into soft tissue injuries, on horses and someone says they haven't been to the vet for well over a year, I know there's something else going on, right? You've got other pain somewhere else inside that horse. And because that horse was doing its job and, and doing what it could, the content, compensatory mechanisms kicked in and we tore a suspensory or we tore a stifle or we hurt a deep digital flexor tendon. That's not every single time. So I don't want to, uh, our listeners to, you know, get mad at, themselves or the horse or me but just remember that I don't show up at I'm bad for this and Tina can vouch for it you know when I when I skip my time when I come see Tina I'm usually kind of messed up and I'm in a real bad pain cycle when I come like really bad sometimes right that's I take responsibility for that if I come and I see Tina on a regular basis and I go to my chiropractor and I do my stretches and I have a 
and Tina and I have a, a friend that we go see. If I go get my needles from him when I need to, as far as like what needs to be injected, I'm a lot better athlete. I'm a lot better human. I'm a lot better for the horses. And so I think that's, that behooves us a little bit is like understanding that if you were to look after little things, you know, like let's say so that you have a horse that has an SI strain and it's not that bad, you know, the horse warms up out of it in 10 or 15 minutes. They feel like they're four years old again and they're a 12 year old. That should tell us something. The sacroiliac may need some attention. Maybe it doesn't need needles. Maybe it needs a shockwave. Maybe it needs something as simple as going to a sports therapist and having somebody from in hand talk to you a little bit about the stretches, understand what to do. Maybe it needs two days off and then one day of riding. Maybe it doesn't need to be jumped three times a week. Those are all little things that you could adjust so that that tissue could recover. Because if that SI becomes chronic enough and that horse repetitively moves, this is where we get into locomotion mm -hmm. pathology. If it's, if it's continually protecting that SI, it's going to be a lot easier for me to tear a deep digital flexor in the front end. I think that's the flowering of practice right now is for us is like searching around and, and I don't take it personally, but professionally I get a little geared up when someone says to me, Oh, you're a needle guy. You're, you're a butcher. You, you inject things all the time. I'm like, yeah, you could see it that way, but you could also see it from another way, which is I want your horse to be here when it's 20 years old and still doing its job. That's not a guarantee that we can do that. But the sooner we recognize the little things and aggressively treat them an aggressive treatment could be, like I said, it could just be a little bit of rest with the proper lymphatic drainage, right? Like that could be the aggressive treatment. The aggressive treatment could also be, you know, we put, we need to just put some steroids in there. I know it's a little bit tough to say, but if we just quiet that ride down, that fire out and then give that horse time or change the program a little bit, that's the aggressive treatment we need today. Anyway, those are, that's my thoughts on the one problem causes other, oh, <laughs> causes other I, problems. I yeah. love, love, love that you brought that up. I see it myself in my own horses. I mean, you've, you've seen all my horses multiple times as well. And we've been working through some problems with them, but you know, they're, they're both older cutting horses that have been through tough programs, have been excellent in sport. But I think one of those things that people often do is they blame it on their sport. Oh, well, that just is what happens. Cutters only last till they're 10 years old. Then they have to be retired or, you know, a dressage horse, they'll for sure going to have um, issues in their upper cervical. They're for sure going to have issues in their SI. Like they, they have a, a way of just trying to let go of that, that responsibility. I think I'm going to say in terms of just saying that's part of what is meant to happen to those horses in that sport and not really taking on the responsibility to really look at that horse as an individual and understand like you said, all of those little things that are going to start building up over time, I'm as much to blame for that. And the more that you learn, the more that you can educate yourself in these sort of things, which is why we want to have the, the short course that we're going to do with you to try and bring that to people's attention, the more that you can then realize what you need to look for and, and be able to get on top of that and then become preventative instead. And there are certain things that are going to be required of a sport horse. And people need to realize that, like you in indicated, seeing your veterinarian once every five years is not a badge of honor to wear. You know, you, you need to be able to even just have those 
preseason checks, know where you are, and then have a baseline to go from. And then you get into the change that we talked about before. Like you just said, Kim, if you, if we don't look, but every couple of years, then a lot of things can change. If we're looking one or two times a year in a high-end athlete or, or whatever the athlete, like any athlete, right? Like it doesn't have to be high-end, but just an athlete. We know when those little changes, we get to talk to those conversations and we can dial into it a little quicker. Well, and I think that takes us back to a great point, which is, and you mentioned it in your description, is the pain control. Because there's many ways to look at uh, body pain or sport pain. You know, all of us, you and you had mentioned this earlier, all of us get up in the morning and, you know, we're like, oh, that's a little creaky. Oh, that's a little sore, you know. And if we're not recognizing all of those little small things, they're going to all build up to a point that, like you say, something major either breaks or the horse can't function. And then you're trying to work your way backwards through all of those problems, peeling layers of the onion off again. Yep. And the success goes down for the practitioner. You know, sometimes when you get there, I don't know about you guys, the wrong sentient being showed up. It should have been God and it was Chad. You're just not going to do it. (laughs) And it hurts my feelings and it hurts my ego or whatever, but it's, you're there, right? Like yeah. you're done, right? Like, and, and we don't like to say it, but that's what happens, right? Like you, you know, I shouldn't have showed up. Someone else should have, right? And, and that's okay. Uh, but as you get more and more down the path, you're looking for it to be the other way where, hey, I got this and I feel really comfortable and I got a big smile on my face because I, I, I feel like I can engage with the team and fix this problem, right? I like those situations. Yeah. Well, and I always find it interesting because... Uh, elite human athletes. Now I know a lot of riders haven't been an elite human athlete themselves, but if, you know, we all really enjoy when the Olympics come on and we all watch it on TV and we get these interviews with the elite athletes, they talk a lot about they have to do this. They're getting soft tissue work. They're getting sports therapy. They're getting checked by the not I was gonna say the vet you guys oh my goodness they're getting checked (laughs) by the doctors all of these things they're doing and you know we think oh well yeah they're elite athletes but we really forget all the things that these horses are doing for us and the forces that are going through our horses even if you're at a moderate level of sport that horse is still enduring a lot through its body could you tell us a little bit about time frame that you would expect reduction in pain if you had a horse that had come to you? Do you kind of talk about that with people? Is there is there some protocols? Because you mentioned pain reduction a couple times. There's the the time for healing and then there's the time pain going away, right? And lack of pain and healing aren't parallel, but they do they do work together. For us, we try to get the pain to go away so that the biomechanics can return to as, as normal as possible. There's two things there. I want the nervous system to come to calm down, and I want the, the skeletal system to start moving in a more appropriate pattern, even if the, even if the injury is not healed, right? Because pain and, and, and healing don't always parallel each other. We, that's a fallacy too, right? Is that once the pain's gone, the healing must be complete. Well, it's not, right? And depending on what you're dealing with. So we'd like to see the pain go away though so that the nervous system can return to its normal feeling and the, the horse isn't in a state of, of, of um, 
I don't like the word fight or flight, but I don't know a better way to say it. Like where they're, you know, there's, they're jammed up and the, the muscles and the tendons and the musculoskeletal system is moving in a more normal pattern. If it's straight joint pain and it's not destroyed, but it's just a mild arthritis, we usually expect that whatever treatment we're doing in there, if it's a cortisone or IRAP or something like that, we would hope that within 14 days, most of that's gone and that horse is starting to return to a, a pretty normal biomechanical pattern. If it's a soft tissue injury, and this is um, one of those things that the longer the spelling of the word is, the longer the healing is. Does that make sense? So if it's a suspensory or it's a deep digital flexor tendon, then, you know, no one likes to hear that, but you're probably going to have a longer time before that pain is gone and that horse is going to be able to return to its normal function. It's just kind of a rule of thumb. And so that's one of the things that we make sure we talk about a lot is like how long before I see normal movement again in my horse or, you know, what can I expect as far as, you know, how long is it going to take? And that's variable. And a lot of it just depends on what happened to the horse, right? So that would be a big part of it. One last thing before we let you go, Dr. Hewlett, can you just go through the pain and then the, uh, so we heard about the cycle ending, but I know you talk to your clients a lot about, okay, even though the pain's gone, doesn't mean the horse is strong and you can just get back on and, and back you go, you know, your return, your return to work is, you know, back to your sport. Can you talk to us just a little bit? Doesn't not a total return to work program. Cause that's a whole nother podcast in itself, but just, just about that then the body has to return to strength. Yeah. And this is great, Tina. Again, this, this attests to how great of athlete horses are because it's not uncommon for them to be able to outperform their fitness or outperform where they're at for their, at this moment, that can happen pretty easily, right? Where a horse is able to do more than they're ready to do. So a big part of it is, is when you're at, your appointment with your veterinarian or whoever, you know, like body worker, chiropractor or whatever, just keep in mind the fitness isn't just lungs and heart, it's tissue too, right? And I think if I was to really pick one and you guys can tell me on this, what your opinion is, I think I would take tissue fitness over cardiovascular fitness if I had to pick one. And the reason being is, is if I'm getting the tissue fit, I'm going to get that heart and lung fitness. It may take a little longer, but I'm going to get it. Whereas if I jam on the heart and lung fitness and the tissue's not right, we usually break some stuff. That I talk a lot about tissue fitness versus heart and lung fitness because we all think that we should be panting and sweating and huffing and puffing and all that other stuff, which there is a time for that. But there's also the, I mean, from an evolutionary standpoint, and you know, if you go into evolutionary biology, we were meant to walk a lot of miles and horses were meant to be eating 18 hours a day and moving around and not standing in a stall. And, you know, I can go, you know, on and on and on and you can get into the rabbit hole, but essentially that tissue fitness is a big part of it, I think. Right. And we, we let that go. Sometimes after an injection, we go through a lot of that. I'll say to people, well, where are we at with our fitness? And they'll be like, well, in two weeks, I'll be ready to run. And I'm like, okay, well, how much time have you spent riding your horse? Well, I've been at it for about three weeks. I'm like, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, 
Well, the tissue takes 90 days to turn over. So I'm still about 60 days shy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But I know this horse can do it because it's done it before and it's dirty fast and it's dirty, whatever. The reality is, is, is the tissue ready? Nope, it's not. Heart and lungs? Sure. The ability, all the ability in the world, probably kill them, probably go there and win the 1D, right? But it's not ready. And every time you do that, you take a little more out of that horse's system good or bad it does I, i'm not i'm not judging people i'm just saying it's just simple biomechanics and biology and we call it medicine right i think that's the that's the deal right so we we do a lot of that after injections well that's awesome chad i think it just takes us into that we're gonna have to have another podcast with you on fitness because i think it's going to uh <laughs> get people uh, really excited to learn uh, more about that. But for today, we honestly can't thank you enough for your time. I think this was a fantastic episode and brought to light a lot of things for people. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate, I feel honored to talk with you guys. You guys do a great job of working in the industry and really helping the horse. We sure uh, appreciate you. you and we're really looking forward to having the short course with you here the middle of May that people can come in and learn more from you too. So thanks so much for all your time and effort. If people want to find out about Energy Equine or your other practice, Synergy Equine, uh, where can people find you? If you go to energyequine.ca, we also have um, Instagram, Energy Equine Instagram, and a Facebook page as well. And we're on that's where we're on the internet as far as those things go. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure and link to all of those for you as well so people can quickly reference them in the show notes. It's easy to talk with Dr. Hewlett for hours about equine function and biomechanics. He's incredibly dedicated and passionate about helping owners and horses alike. In our conversation, we certainly touched on many different aspects, but for me, it comes down to a few simple key points. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, we all want what's best for our horses, and we will often try to move mountains to make that happen. But focus in the past has usually been on reaction to events that occur and not necessarily prevention. When pain, injury, or insult happens to the body, it will work to protect that area, hopefully to prevent further problems and begin work on healing. However, in the compensation patterns that occur, this is often where slowly breakdowns happen, and while the initial problem has been dealt with, these secondary issues can build without necessarily noticing to then cause a catastrophic result. What may have started as a simple trip or stumble in the warm-up months later could actually show up as a strained SI. Or having a horse perform prior to being fully fit to do the job, especially if you're adding speed and torque, can cause micro-tears that we don't notice as a lameness until down the road the horse tears a suspensory from undue loading. How often do horses start out seasons strong only to be sidelined by injury right before the big show? There are a million reasons that horses go lame, some preventable and some simply accidental. But what if instead of throwing it to chance, we really dove into learning what is required of our sport and looked at the systems of the horse as a whole and not just separate entities? Dr. Hewlett's point of pain and healing not always paralleling each other was one of the most brilliant takeaways I took home today. I'm like thousands of riders out there. While I used to ride for work and devoted 24-7 into it, I now make it my hobby and get to it as often as I can. That means my horses aren't always rode every day. 
I don't get the benefit of working full-time with a trainer. I have a myriad of bills to pay and can't always afford to do the A-plus approach to caring for them. Remember, this podcast is about opening the conversation, which involves us taking these hard looks at our own programs and asking if we are doing what we can for the benefit of the horse. So I modify. I set goals. I set budgets. But mostly, I work closely with the team surrounding my horse's wellness to determine if I should be showing, when that should occur, what therapies or treatments the horse needs, evaluating their true fitness and being really observant of their movement and behaviors. We can't stop pain and lameness from ever happening, but we can certainly work towards preventing as much as possible by our planning and observations to hopefully extend the careers and lives of our equine partners long past what we would consider normal. If you'd like to join us for a more in-depth discussion and visual presentation, We'll be hosting an online short course with Dr. Hewlett on locomotion pathologies on May 21st from 7 to 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. This will be recorded and available for all participants to watch and rewatch at their leisure after as well. So send us a message at office at inhandtherapy.com for more information or check out the show notes to our link to the online course. Thank you for listening to this episode. We appreciate each rating and review you can give to help grow this podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook under Equine Body Talks or connect with us by email at equinebodytalks at gmail.com. To learn more about courses by InHand Equine Therapy, please follow them on Instagram and Facebook as well and their online course platform at inhandequinetherapy.podia.com. Remember to always be an advocate for your horse and not be afraid to open the conversation around your horse's wellness team.